0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to another
1: AI Writers uh, podcast. I'm your co-host, Leanne Prescott, and joining me as usual is your other host, Tom. Tom, how are you?
2: I am all good, thanks. Um, watching a bit of England, which is always depressing, so I'm sure I won't be feeling quite <laughs> as good in a couple of hours. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm all good. Uh, just counting down the days to the World Cup. It's it's nice to have some football on, but obviously the, the friendlies aren't really where it where it gets good. So looking forward to the World Cup and hopefully uh, some proper football to, to see. Um, but joining us today is Alex and Hamza. So, Alex, how are you?
0: I'm very well, thanks, Leanne. It's nice, nice to be on again after long delay that was far too long. So, I'm glad yeah, glad you invited me on.
1: It's good to have you back on, especially with the with the transfer window open now. So, lots to talk about in terms of you know your your scouting and things of potential players come to this summer. Um, and and joining us, as I said, was Hamza. Hamza, how are you?
3: Good, thank you. Um. I thought it was going to be a bit of a sad summer after losing the <laughs> Champions League final, but I think was it two or three days later? Two days later, Fabinho signing. Uh, since then, that's that's picked me up, so I'm looking forward to this and the summer.
1: Yeah, that was that definitely a good way to to kick off the the transfer window and the summer as a whole. Um, so we'll start off with Alex's article, which looks at potential attackers Liverpool could target this summer. Um, in order to look at reducing the gulf between the starting eleven and the bench. So Alex, do you want to talk us through your options and you know, why you've chosen the players you have and, and what they possibly bring to Liverpool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, obviously, we all know that we need back up to Mohamed Salah, um, Sadio Mane, and most importantly, Roberto Firmino, because I think the gulf between the three, uh, Danny Ings and Don Solanke, wasn't just clear to, to kind of see in the Madrid game. Obviously, that was, that was a golfing class between the two teams, but and just what Madrid could bring on with Gareth Bale, and the impact he had versus what we could bring on with uh, a crocked Adam Lallana, and notwithstanding the fact that Adam Lallana is pretty much done anyway. Um, also, the run-in, the run to the end of the season, the games against West Brom, uh, Stoke, uh, even looking all the way as far back as. Kind of the Everton games where we, we kind of ran out of ideas. Um, certainly, a lot of games that during the season we could have helped, or we could have, we were hindered rather by the fact that we didn't have one more, one more option to bring off the bench, one more person to kind of uh, settle the, the nerves of, oh, our front three aren't, aren't being helped here. So when I was looking at kind of the backups to The front three. I was looking more at the kind of players that could offer something, not just off the bench, but rotating, be the starting lineup, Uh, which is why a lot of my players were kind of relatively expensive and relatively well known. Um, We've been linked with uh, Moses Simon and and Zanesh Shakiri this week, so they're kind of more under the radar, more pure backup signings, whereas the five that I went with kind of, they're impressive in their own right. They could Technically, they could come in and, and stake their claim. And should Mohamed Salah or Sadio Mane be, God forbid, out of form, this is, that's the kind of player that could come in and kind of assert their own dominance on the squad. So it was, it was enjoyable to kind of pick out five players like that, of that stature. But, um, in terms of the names, I've gone for uh, Gonzalo Guedesh of, of PSG, I'll go uh, Leon Bailey at Leverkusen, Le- Le- Osman Dembelli at Barcelona, obviously he's been heavily linked as well. Uh, Florian Talvan at uh, Marseille is one of my favourite players. Uh, and Christian Pulisic at Borussia Dortmund. Uh that American sensation. And in terms of if you were gonna ask me who I think the most likely out of that group is, it's probably Pulisic. Um, because of the American connection also not sure if you guys remember Rafi Honigstein in January did say that Klopp loves Pulisic and is pretty much locked in to go back in for him at some point. Um, Dortmund will want to keep their 100 million euro valuation kind of s- s- steady and locked in, but I have a sneaky suspicion they would accept kind of anywhere between 60 to 80 million euro, um, purely because Lucien Favre coming in is going to need money to spend, money that they haven't historically spent well uh, and there is a lot in that team that needs replacing. Uh, the likes of Andre Schoedler, Socrates, Provostus Paulus, lots of kind of dead weight that they're going to want to get, get rid of. In the same way, if you ask me whether we could get Leon Bailey for the same price, I'd probably say no. Uh, Guernic, entirely dependent on PSGs. Um, Usman Dembele, that's a story in itself. Uh, and Florian Talbot is probably the cheapest of the lot because of what happened, but obviously the biggest risk as well. So it's, it's, it's a kind of varied list of players that I work with, but all of them had their own reason for coming to Liverpool. And I think all of them could state their claim rather than just be a pure
3: backup.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's a really interesting um, article and and one that takes a lot of focus right now because Liverpool are obviously looking into the transfer market to, to reduce that. That golfing class between the the starting eleven and the bench options, and, and and maybe people point to to the bench and say that's potentially where we lose ties like the Champions League final because we don't have that quality to fall back on. Um, so we'll start with with Pulisic. We'll go through them one by one. And Hamza, I'll come to you first with this one. Uh, what do you make of him personally, and and do you think he'd suit Liverpool's style? Because as Alex said, there, and and uh, personally, I think it it would be a very wise move for Liverpool in many ways because not just to see a brilliant footballer at a very young age and and one that's clearly caught pop side for a long time, but there is a commercial aspect as well because he does fit the the FSG bill. He's a young player, he's American, and there's a lot of, you know, advertisement they could do with that. Of course, that's not the the primary reason to sign a player. You want to sign high-quality players, but it is also another factor that's pretty, you know, fitting here.
3: Uh, Definitely so. Uh, as a player, he's fantastic. He's direct. He's got that pace to burn and he, he will m- perfectly, uh, match up with Salah on one side, uh, or Mani on the other, or even to be able to rotate with them. And you keep him that same sort of, uh, direct style that's always, uh, putting opponents on the back foot. But exactly as you said, what we have at the moment, we have, um, uh, Mo Salah, who's one of the biggest names on the planet right now. Uh, we've got Nabi Keita, uh, uh, who 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 will be one of the biggest names on the planet very soon. We've got Sad- Sadio Mane who's uh I think probably he must be Senegal's number 1 player, right? Uh Van Dijk. Um we have big names now uh, that are leading players in their country and uh Pulisic is going to be that man uh for the United States and we really should be trying to um really take uh take advantage of having these players uh commercially because uh what we have here. It, what we have with Salah, for example, is a huge asset, and we've, we've seen how it's been monetized by uh, different sponsors uh, that aren't associated with the club. He's now in all the Adidas adverts. Uh, you'll see him, uh, I think he did a Pepsi advert too. Uh, you'll see him absolutely everywhere, and uh, he's plastered around all the billboards in in Egypt and North Africa, and this is only going to get bigger and bigger with the World Cup, of course. Definitely, uh, Pulisic is, is the sort of player that you want, not just in terms of quality, in terms of this off-field performance as well. Uh, you have players at, at Manchester United, Paul was one such example. Uh, uh, maybe his performances on the pitch haven't reflected that so far, but in terms of um, realising the the money invested into him by the club, uh, he's done that through uh, the sponsorship deals and um, all the extra revenue that he brings in as, as the star man, uh, as did Ibrahimovic, as do, as do all those big names. So I 100% agree with you there. Um, Pulisic is the man, uh, not just for this system, not just for this team, not just for the club, not just for the clock, but also off off the field as well. And I think that's a really, really uh, good way to approach uh, looking beyond just on pitch performances because what we need in the long run is those off-field performances in terms of revenues to be able to feed into the club so we have more more money, uh, the ability to invest more the ability to expand the stadium and so on and so on, uh, and that's exactly what we're looking for. And in this sense, uh, Pulisic is probably the, the best option on this list. A fantastic list, by the way. But yeah, fantastic.
2: Yeah, one of the um, one of the big things I like about this list is got a, it's got a real. Var- I'll come to in a minute. There's a lot of different varieties of option on that list. There's a lot of different types of player. There's a lot of different uh, ages. There's a lot of different situations. So. you For example, you've got someone like Usman Dembele, who realistically we're only, probably only going to get on loan, at least for the short term. And then you've got someone like Pulisic, who might cost 100 million. Then you've got someone like Tovan, who's probably quite affordable. Well, comparatively anyway, quite affordable. Um, for me, one of the big positives about Pulisic on this list is his age. He's obviously only 19, which makes him, I think he's the youngest player on the list. Um, so in that sense, you've got a player who is not even close to being anyway, at his peak yet as, as, uh, as, um, as Alex says in the article he's very raw and very unrefined which means that he's you know which gives us a real opportunity there to nail down someone who might cost a lot of money in the short term but over the long term is either going to end up being worth a lot more when we sell him or is going to have, have the potential to you know really really nail down and you know provide for that investment so you know Dortmund wants, some, wants to spend 100 million quid want us to spend 100 million quid you know how much was his Den Dembele he would have been, he was 130 for, you know, for Barca. But how much could Dan Bellet give Barca over that time frame? If Barca keep him for a decade, he could win them 10, 15 trophies. Pulisic is a similar player. And the other thing obvious about Pulisic is that, of course, we haven't seen his best yet. You look at someone like Tovan, for example, who's on there. Tovan's 25 now. So we're not going to get necessarily the longevity of Tovan. But also we're not... Ceiling is a word that, obviously, Alex mentioned in the article as being a bit of an overused word, but Pulisic is one of those players who we don't know how quite how good he's going to be yet. And if you give him even two years learning from someone like Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, but also, of course, spending a lot of time with someone like Jurgen Klopp, who, of course, is a big, big developer of talent. Um, the other thing about someone like Pulisic is you want to talk about the system, you want to talk about the type of player he is. The type of player and the systems that someone like Pulisic can fit into isn't defined yet because he's only 19 you pick someone like Tovan, for example, it's going to be harder for them to adjust to the system, potentially, than someone like Pulisic, who has got a lot of time to be moulded into what Klopp wants him to be. So even if we don't get the best out of him for one or even two seasons, realistically, you know, if, if we leave him on the bench for two years, he's still going to be 21. That's still more than young enough to make a huge impact over time. So he is one of those players who you kind of look at and go, 50 million quid, if that's what it costs, 60, that could be end up being... A massive, massive bargain. He's one of those where maybe it is very high risk, but the rewards are potentially potentially greater than I think anyone else on that list, apart from possibly Dembélé, who, I, who, as I've already mentioned, I don't really think is achievable in terms of buying. Yeah, and no, I, I agree that um, Peel Six is uh, because he's
0: like he's close control, he's dribbling. It all kind of happens in and around the box. He doesn't necessarily need it to get the ball his halfway line to get up to speed, whatever. I think what you just said is important to it. At 19, he can be molded to any system right now. I don't know if Leo Bailey can be molded to any system right now. Bailey's a very, uh, one trick pony far too overzealous oh, term for him, but he's very, um, I've got my set of skills that I love using, and if I can't get to use my set of skills in a match, I'm not gonna have as easy a time adapting as someone like Sick or, uh, a, a young Mario. Godson, I'm trying to think of, was always very like, I need space, I need space, if I don't get space, then I'm in strife. Uh, Pulasic and Godson uh, is an interesting comparison too, because, uh, there's a, there's a, an inclination in Germany to think that Mario Götze has stalled or stifled or somehow kind of regressed even. But it could well be that he just peaked at his, at a very, very young age and it's almost impossible for him to recover that kind of form. He scored the winner of the World Cup for Germany. How do you beat that? Pulisic is an incredible talent, as is Leon Bailey. Bailey's a year older and... You get a sense that Leon Bailey needs kind of a team built around him to succeed. It almost has been at Leverkusen. The front four, the front four is kind of transient, and, and everything's changing. And brands switch sides. Holand's never in the same position at all times. Leon Bailey in a big pond may not be the, the he may be more Mario Cuoco than, say, someone like Julian Draxler, who I think we haven't seen the best out of, or Mesut Ozil, who will succeed in in big arenas. I think Christian Pulisic has the, has the more, if you could say this, it's intangible. Pulisic has the more tangible known potential, which I think means he's going to be worth more money, and that's fair. Um, so whatever we pay we know we're getting someone with a genuine, tangible future, genuine, tangible potential, especially if Klopp gets to work with him in the way that he's, he's worked with. I mean, look at the way Klopp's improved Lallana and, and Milner and players like that limited technically. What he could do with this 19-year-old American kid with the world at his feet is just, like, it's mouthwatering stuff.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think um, you've touched on some really good points there with Bailey as well, because... That, that gif there that you've implanted into the article, if no one's read the article, it's a brilliant little gif, cross into the box, falls to Bailey, and he just brilliantly um, backheels it into the back of the net. It's exquisite. And that, for me, shows his, his creativity. And he's he's very, very, very good at finishing. Um, but again, it's an indication that this team has maybe been built around him. He is the focal point and that Liverpool, that obviously wouldn't be the case. And um, that's not to say he wouldn't be a success. He's a very, very talented player, but I agree. I think Pulisic is, is potentially the player who would excite me a little bit more purely because, as Tom pointed out, you know, the system can be molded, well, he can be molded into the system rather than the system being molded to him, uh, which I think is really, really important for this, this club team. Um, Alex, you want to take us through the next, um, two, two names there, Osama Dembele and, um, uh, I can't pronounce that name. My pronunciation is very, very bad. But do you want to take us through two of them? Um, and then we'll ask Hamza about his thoughts on them as well.
0: Yeah, of course. I'm assuming you mean Gonzalo Guedes, not uh, Um Guedes is a, a pacey speedster. He's very tricky. Uh, he kind of thrived early on in Valencia when a lot of Marcelino's squad were unknown quantities and they kind of came out of the blocks firing and they were allowed more space than they ought to have been because I'm not sure a lot of people expected Valencia to be that good. Uh, they they had a stellar start of the season. He was excellent in games against uh, Barcelona, Viral, um, in both both leagues actually. Uh, from what I saw of him, late on the season, he very much simmered. He only had one kind of, had goal involvement in his, in his last kind of 26 games. So it, it, it's one of those things where you can see the highlights, but you can also see where the work needs to be put in. When PSG signed him, a lot of clubs were circling around him, despite the fact that, again, his output wasn't that great for Benfica. Um, and they signed him for $30 million as well, so they kind of forked out quite a bit of money He's Portuguese. I don't know whether he'll start a World Cup. I'm not sure whether he deserves to start ahead of someone like Bernardo Silva, but he probably will make a couple of appearances, um, which is good because he's an excellent talent. He Again, he's rapid. Uh, and if there's anything this Liverpool side loves, it's pace. Uh, and he can play kind of up front, off the right, and off the left. So he's got the versatility. Yeah. He played up front, up front, Couple of times for Valencia this season, in, cause they played two up front. So, alone as the sole striker, perhaps that's a different story. But then he's, his usual position drifting in off the left um, of a 4 2, um, filling the space when st- the strikers would drop deep, almost becoming an auxiliary, auxiliary rather. Uh, number nine was impressive positionally for a kid that's that young. And Marcelino's system was quite complicated to, uh, to, to, grasp. So it was impressive to see from, from Gwadesh. It, it was lovely start to the season. And, and again, he kind of tape it off. Uh, Dembele is the interesting one because if you ask me, and I was a sane person, I tell you there's no chance Dembele moves a season after £130 million was forked out for a signature. But this Barcelona board is an absolute shambles. And the state of affairs that seems to be gripping the club is uh rather toxic kind of, we have to win the Champions League at all costs. Otherwise, Lionel Messi will be disappointed in it. us. Uh, it's like a son who... <laughs> it's like a son who's disappointed his father and came forth in the race and he's like, okay, well, I need to win my next race. Otherwise, I'm going to be disowned from this family. Um, it's just, it's unbelievable because of the way Mercy is, the comments that you're allowed to come out and say in Barcelona, uh, it's a completely different atmosphere to any other workplace in in, in the world. They like world football. Imagine coming out and saying something like, yes, I think, I think we did well this season, and the manager took us to a league title, which is great. Uh, But, you know, if he doesn't win the Champions League next season, that won't be enough. It's just incredible. We saw it with Madrid, Zidane left on a high, because he knew that one loss to Athletic Bilbao next season, and all of a sudden the pressure's back on. It's just, it's, it's an incredibly toxic atmosphere in La Liga. And I don't watch as much Liga as I would like Bundesliga and Liga are my, are my two specialities but every time you kind of flick the TV on if Barcelona aren't up 4-0 questions are being asked of Ernest Valverde, which is incredible and that's why Stem thing could genuinely happen as Tom said before it's it's likely going to be a loan Liverpool wouldn't sanction a deal uh, if there was no option to buy because I don't think we're in the business of uh, just improving a player for a top team. Uh, if it's a one-year loan deal or two, probably decides the fee. If it's a two-year loan deal, the fee's probably somewhere along the lines of $70 million. We will fork out, or we'll, sorry, we'll cut off the money they owe for Suarez and say, don't worry about it. We'll take $10, 20 mil 20000000 off what they owe for Coutinho. They still owe us money for Suarez, by the way. Uh, um Barca's board are shambles in the way they've structured a lot of these deals, and increasingly it looks like they're going to be a shambles in the way they're going to structure a Griezmann deal, because Atletico want most of them, most of the money up front and Barca just don't have it. Uh, so whatever they do there, they're going to need money coming in. So again, this is this is the straws that I think most of us are clinging to in that Wasman Dembélé could happen. Klopp loves him; he wanted to sign him uh, at Liverpool. In his first season, but his head was already turned by Dortmund. He's an unreal player in that he will be able to play both sides, dribble with both feet, dribble in tight spaces. What Pulisic can do. Uh, his creativity is probably the one thing that needs improvement because a lot of what he does is just dribble at players, take them out of position, and then lay off a pass. Um, but we said the same thing about kind of Sadio Mane when he joined, but he wasn't all that creative, and Plot turned him into kind of our most creative player. Uh, and the one thing that Mande Mela gives us is just a ridiculously proficient capacity to dribble. If you look at Nabil Fakir, if he arrives, loves to dribble from deep. Mohamed Salah dribbles when he has the space. but Sadio Mane takes players out of the game. Roberto Firmino is an under the Raider dribbler, and that he doesn't have the technique, but he's still a, a freak. Uh, and that that will replace what we lost in Coutinho, which is the ability to kind of take two players out of the game and then lay a pass MLA. Like, should we get him? And should he be rotating with his front four? Obviously, everyone will be, will be looking at the highlights and all the flashy stuff he does, but just the genuinely incredible way he's able to skip past players. I think that's, what, that's one of the facts we need in a backup attacker. That's what all of these players have. Uh, but then Dembele's got it kind of in spades. And it's at it's, its highest and most incredible and most salivating. So, uh, again, I, I can't get myself invested in Dembele because I don't think that it's going to happen. But there are a lot of reasons to say that it might.
3: I was just wondering, Alex, uh, I, I know, like, Uzman is going to be the one. Oh, Uzman is the man, right? Everyone wants him. But if you were to look at these players and you thought, what do you need most? Are, are the, what's the, the output that you, you want from these substitute players most? Is it in terms of goals? Is it in terms of assists? Uh, or is it them literally just being able to function in a similar capacity to Mane or Salah at a given time? So obviously at the moment, Salah's scoring all the goals. Uh, and Mane is scoring goals, but he's doing a different, it's a more team orientated role, right? He's a, He's more focused on taking players out of the game. Uh, he's stretching the, uh, the opposition team, whereas Salah comes in a bit. Uh, what do you think we should be looking for in terms of these players? Are we looking for a light for light replacement or someone to actually offer something a bit different? So they have their own style, the same way that Mane has his own style, Firmino has his own style, and, and Salah has his own style. Or do you, do you think that we need someone that's going to be a bit more similar to the front three so we can keep that sort of, uh, that synergy?
0: Uh, Yeah, I think it's imperative that we kind of have something different because we don't know who they'll be coming on for. So if they're coming on for for Firmino, their role's going to be really different to what they would have done if they're coming on for Salah or Mane. Salah can play as the the number nine, that's fine. Even Mane can play as the number nine if he really wants to. Um, I think the one thing that we kind of need, which is what all five kind of have in common, is the desire to be really ambitious. And desire to to try and take players on and be always kind of active and and mobile. Uh, One of the criticisms of Shakiri, um, and the criticism of Simon as well, because we we haven't seen him play in this, in this kind of capacity, is we don't know how well they'd adjust to the press, uh, purely because it's not their natural game. So if you're gonna, if you're gonna say one thing, it's if they're willing to, obviously, it's impossible to tell with a lot of players until they do it. But the willingness to, to press and the willingness to be a part of that kind of collective fury, collective blitzkrieg, if you like, uh, that's probably one thing that I'd judge them on. But I, in terms of what I would want, it'd be different. That's why I I, I would push for Florian Tovan, because a winger scoring 22 league goals is phenomenal. Uh, but if you look at a lot of the, the goals, they are kind of fox in the box. They are... Poaching goals. Some of them are cutting inside on his left. Some of them are taking players on, cutting outside with the left, and then and turning back in. Um, you we need an output that isn't just going to be well. He's a good dribbler, isn't he? Or well, he's a good passer, isn't he? Or well, he can press because that's what Alana is. Alana is well. He can press, and we've seen it's just worth nothing in the Champions League final when you absolutely carved. So, um, it's important to preserve the team and and everything, obviously anyone coming in from Mohamed Salah is going to have a a job to, a rather sizable job to do, but if they can do so individually, and let's not forget, Nabil Fakir will be able to rotate with the front three as well. So say, God forbid, Sadio Mane gets injured. Mohamed Salah's played six games straight. You play Nabil Fakir on the right, cutting his on the left. You play uh, one of the five names in this list, or whoever else we sign uh, off the left. It's going to be a completely different team dynamic. In fact, it might not even be a four-three-three. It could be four-four-two. Could be a kind of four-two-three-one. Fermino goes in the hole. Fakir goes up front, uh, and Tolvan plays off the right. It could be four-two-two-two with Firmino and Fakir up front. Tolvan off the left, using his left foot. Mane off the right. It, it, like you don't know. Um, so as long as they come in with their own individual kind of strengths, um, I think it, it, it'd be foolish of Liverpool to just go for someone who is a bit good at dribbling and a bit good at finishing. And that's, that's kind of it. I think they all need their own. And that's why all five of these players have their own individual traits. Toban, incredible output, incredible finisher. Or oh, maybe not incredible finisher, but takes loads of shots per game. Osman Zembalay, ridiculously good dribbling and phenomenal young talent. Pulisic, 19 years old, direct, really direct, really good at taking plays on really ambitious. Leon Bailey, when he when you give him space, he will just take defenders on for fun. Uh, and Gonzalo Guedes is is pacey, is tricky, uh, and is probably the, the best fit in terms of a secondary striker of the lot. So they all have their own kind of attributes, and all of those attributes fit in well with what Klopp wants. So... So that's the most important thing, preserving the individualism.
2: Me, The thing about Tovan is, I mean, for starters, he's the oldest. He's come to be the oldest player on that list as well. He's 25. So he's kind of out of the range of one we can keep for a long time, if that makes sense. Like someone like Guzman we could keep for a decade. Someone like Pulisic we could keep for a decade. With someone like Tovan, we probably only got three or four good years out of him. Um, and it's interesting because the thing is with Tovan – he obviously really struggled at Newcastle, though that's not really necessarily a fair place to judge him on. But equally, he was playing for a really, really good team in Marseille, in, and he's done really, really well. I mean, that's the interesting thing about Toban, right? I mean, every time I talk about attacking midfielders in a group chat that I'm in, a football group chat, every time I'm every time I'm talking about players like Fakir, people will say, "Well, if you want to look at attacking wingers, the best player in terms of in terms of dropping the numbers last season in Liga was Toban. He's the one you want to be looking at." But it's, a, it's, an, and he is one of those players who he, he did drop the numbers last year. So the, the question for me is weighing up someone like Tovan versus someone like, it's a, it's a completely different issue, isn't it? Because you're looking at Tovan this year versus someone like Usman or someone like Pulisic in five years. So you've got maybe five years to cater those two players. And I think if you look at both Usman and Pulisic, they're going to be better players than Tovan is in five years. So the question is, Do we need that kind of immediate output? Do we need someone like Tobin who's going to drop, who's going to come on and score goals right off the bench, who's going to come on and make an immediate impact and doesn't need to be developed as such versus someone like Uzman or someone like Pulisic who potentially will take longer to get to their peak, but potentially we get a lot more out of. So I suppose it's really what Klopp is looking for now. I mean, you could almost argue with someone like would it be better to get this man on loan for two years or, or to buy Tobin? Because really, if, even if we get two good years out of them, we might not get that much out of, out of Toban just because there's no guarantees with him. Despite, I mean, obviously, as I say, he had the best numbers last year, but I'm just not convinced they're sustainable numbers. Uh, especially when you consider that he won't get the same level of game time that he got at Marseille potentially. I, so I think we do need someone who is maybe fitted to not necessarily playing week in, week out, or at the very least is comfortable. Spending a lot of time on the mention, that's where I think someone like Pulisic might be the best option because I think he's obviously used to playing, not necessarily a bit part role, but he's used to having to fight for his place. And I feel like, as you said, he's someone who is quite ambitious. So I think someone like Pulisic, who is able to sort of step up to that idea of, OK, I'm not going to be first choice unless I make myself a first choice. Whereas someone like Tovan, I'm not sure he's necessarily demonstrated that he's got that to his game. So that for me is what's quite interesting. Um Alex, I do just have a couple of quick couple of quick questions for you before we move off this topic um so the first one is which one if we were buying a player for next season specifically if we were looking at the player who is the most polished item most completed product we were looking for a player who we feel is the best to come in next season and win us the league in the next 12 months which player would you pick and which player do you think out there has potentially the biggest potential
0: um i think if we're looking at a team to win the league next season, and I'm going to discount it as my Dembele, because it's just, it's kind of an outcry. It's kind of a, a hidden hope of a signing because it could could have come off, couldn't, maybe not. Uh, if it was possible, it'd probably be Dembele because of what he'd be able to bring to the side kind of straight away. He's the outlier. Uh, but in terms of what we could afford, what we could do, what the instant impact would be, it probably is Florian Talon purely because uh, if you want to replicate the effect of Mohamed Salah on this team, Turman's left foot is a goals machine. He's goals galore. Uh, and in a better team, I think he, he's probably going to have m- even more success than he had. In a Marseille side, that kind of struggled early on. He was carrying a lot of it. Obviously, league unfavours players who dribble a lot, so Tormund was kind of his element. But um, in the Premier League, where I think it's, it's equally as it's catered to players who can dribble. Tovan would be able to to come on and wreak some havoc. Uh, in terms of the player with the most potential, it is it's got to be Pulisic. Um, I love Leon Bailey. I think he's a gun. I think he's going to be a phenomenal player for Bayern when he eventually moves there. But Pulisic is something else. He's American. He's got the marketing kind of furore that all kind of big, big American corporations dream of because he will be kind of their poster work for the next 10, 15 years. The, the potential to make Pulisic into anything is what should be tantalising to Klopp. He's worked with him before. He's the one who brought him through kind of the very first time. Tuchel did most of the groundwork, but Klopp was, is responsible for bringing him through. Um, he can play off the right, he can play off the left. I still think he could probably become a number 10 there was talk in January that he could be the continue replacement, but I think he's more likely kind of the man to come on when Mane or Salah need a rest. Uh, he, As you said, Tommy, he would be happy to play kind of on the bench to win his spot, but I do think he's the kind of player that this time, kind of next summer, we could be saying, well, is Pulisic ready to to start? Is Pulisic ready to to kind of... Take the chance because he was so excellent in this, 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 this. Is expensive, but you're basically buying to use the an American parlance, a franchise player because he's going to be here for 15 years, and you got to spend money on your franchise players. Whether we can keep Muhammad Salah beyond maybe three or four seasons remains to be seen. If Christian Pulisic comes in and he makes good on kind of the potential that um is is undoubted at this stage. He just needs the output, uh, and if he can make good on that potential, it would be worth every penny. Uh, in terms of what he cost, I still think that Dortmund under Lucien Favre need money. They they can't afford another calamity, um, especially if Favre decides that he needs more attackers because yeah, that attack is lacking. Michibashwai probably won't come back from Chelsea. Uh, Godson, I don't want to say he's finished, but he's not. The old guard so Shell is terrible. Whoever sanctioned the deal for Shell is a moron. Uh and even the likes of Philip and that, while well, good, had injury injury kind of field season. So Pulisic is there, the one thing they can hold on to. But if they get a eighty million euro offer, somewhere in the reason region of sixty five to seventy million pounds, ah, I just think Dortmund would be Dortmund to be stupid not to take that money. And Liverpool would be stupid not to add what could essentially be a franchise player to the, to the ranks. And you can't underestimate the fact that he's someone what really, really wants, really genuinely from the bottom of his heart just wants to work with this kid. So, um, yeah, Pulisic would be the one for me in terms of the one I'd, I'd pick out. Uh, and in terms of if we were going for the title next season, I'd probably go Fleur and Talbot.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think it's just to just a round off before we move on to um Hamza's article, I think it's an interesting list, particularly because every player is is slightly different. You've got Pulisic, who's young and would do brilliantly under Klopp and, and can be moulded. You've got, you know, the same case for for Bailey and then Dembele is a very, very polished player. Um okay, he's still got some more developing to do, but you know, he's able to add something straight away. Um But I agree with you. I I think Pulisic is the one you're looking at and thinking this is going to be an incredible player and and a prospect that you'd love to see under Jurgen Klopp and someone that Klopp clearly admires. Um, And he's already got a lot of experience under his belt for for such a young age as well. So, of course, I wouldn't say say no to Dembele or to any of the others on the list, but it's exciting to to know that there are a lot of talents out there that Liverpool could benefit from and and really use to to reduce that golfing class between the eleven and the um, the bench. Um, but we'll leave it there. There's, there's plenty more to talk on on that, but definitely check out Alex's article if you haven't already and look at the outrageous gifts that it includes as well. Um, but we'll move on to, to Hamza's now. So Hamza, do you want to introduce your article, which looks at Luis Carius and, and the mind of, of the goalkeeper just in the recent news about, you know, his concussion?
3: Yeah, sure. So, um, I was reading up on Carius and I'd seen a lot of stuff that was, a uh, criticism. Uh, a lot of stuff that was sympathetic. But I hadn't seen much that was uh, empathetic. Just to see, just to try and visualize what it's like to be a goalkeeper in the situation that Karius is being in. And to look at carius you can't look at the match in isolation. You have to look at his time at Liverpool. And that's what I tried to do. So it's a, a, a bit of a long piece and there's, it's a little bit scratchy at times because I'm trying to draw together a few things Uh, but what I'm really trying to do is have a look at at Carius and when he's looked good and when he hasn't looked good and uh, the times that he's looked best is when it's clear that he has the full confidence of the team the fans uh, and and everyone behind him and you'd expect that of course he's a football player, uh, he's a person uh, he's a goalkeeper but what I really wanted to focus on was the impact uh, that confidence can have and how that confidence can be affected at any different time. Uh, so, the in the Champions League final, he makes his t- those two uh, big errors. Uh, they're probably likely the, the result of a concussion, uh, uh, as the, the doctors mentioned earlier this week. Uh, but the, there's more to it than that. So, um, when Ramos makes the fouls, uh, he's already feeling, he's feeling insecure. He's feeling, well, he's likely, I'm, I'm trying to just, Map out what he he probably would be feeling. Uh, he's probably going to be feeling a bit insecure at that moment. He he knows that he's just been fouled. He knows that the linesman hasn't picked it up. He knows the referee hasn't picked it up. The official behind the goal hasn't picked it up. He's now under that little bit more bit of pressure, and it's just niggling at the back of the head alongside that concussion that's going on. Uh, and and uh, and then most, you, you've got Salah going off as well. The pressure on him at this moment right now. Uh, and what I flesh out in the article is that as a goalkeeper, it's very different to any other like um position on the pitch. Even if you're a centre back, you have those opportunities at times to be creative, to to put something forward uh in a manner that that is conducive to the team actually winning rather than uh defending something. Defending and trying to save a goal is very very negative, right? You you can try as much as you want to have a flawless game, but you can still concede goals. And that's the nature of being the goalkeeper. Uh, so as well as you play, uh, you might still have those moments where you're just feeling a bit uncomfortable. Even if you're playing out of your skin, you, you might feel, oh, there's a free kick here. I, I, I'm a bit nervous. And I think that's probably what Karis was feeling at this moment, not just because of the foul, not just because of the concussion, but because of the whole situation, obviously Champions League final. He's only been the de facto number one since around December, January time. And that's what I was just trying to have a look at here. And, um, I think we forget that there is a huge psychological part of the game uh, that we often um, miss that, that, we, that we don't look at. Everyone loves to look at those, those physical aspects. Oh, Dembele, for instance, uh, fantastic player going forward. He can run, he can dribble. Uh, t- tactically, where will he fit in within the team? But you don't. But the psychological side is so so much bigger. And uh, we very rarely address that. So I thought that's just something that I'd like to explore. And yeah, uh, that's that's the piece.
1: Yeah, so it's a really interesting article. And, and for me, you know, people always say being a goalkeeper is the, is the hardest position in football, because if you make a mistake, it more often than not leads to a goal directly. And, and everyone's always watching you. If you do something well, then a lot of people come out and say, well, that's your job. You know, congratulations, you made a save. Like, get on with it. And, and if you make a, a mistake, obviously all the, all the eyes are on you. So really sometimes there's, it's a no win situation. And, and as you say, the, the mental aspect of that game and, and that position is huge because everyone is constantly watching, watching you. When the ball is not near the goal, you're still probably having these insecurities as, as you're talking about. And, and for me, the, the recent events with the concussion and, and what we've now learned as, as a possible reason into the instance in Kiev, it shows to me just how you know, affected a goalkeeper can be, um, and how hard being a goalkeeper is because of the reaction of the fans prior to the news as well, because of, you know, all these death threats and, and nonsense things like that. But Alex, what do you, what do you make of this and, and the psychological impact of, of being a goalkeeper and the fact that, you know, basically all eyes are on you, even if the, the ball is up at, you know, the opposition's attacking end. When it comes back, everyone's either waiting for you to, to make it, an unsavable save, or for you to mess up, there's there's really no winning sometimes.
0: I, I think Hansa kind of encapsulated it brilliantly in that it, being a goalkeeper is a thankless task. Uh, unless you're someone like David De Gea, where the myth is perpetuated so much at such a kind of regurgitating fashion that you're almost, you can't do wrong because every good save you make will kind of further perpetuate that myth. I mean, it's not a myth, that he's brilliant but it is a myth that he's kind of the only incredible goalkeeper out there, um, and he's the only one that saves his team points. Being a goalkeeper means you will always save your team points because you will make critical saves when the ball could have ended up in the net and doesn't. Um, and not enough credit gets given to keepers for what many perceive as doing their job. If if Mohamed Salah scores 30 goals next season, no one's going to say, well, he's just doing his job. Last season was an outlier, but this season he's just doing his job. 30, 30 goals is what we expect. Maybe it gets leveled at Edison Cavani, Gonzalo Higuain, Maldi Cardi, where they're kind of strikers of a level below Messi and Ronaldo are expected to get 30 goals a season. And if they don't, then it's a problem. If they do, it's business as usual. But I don't think there's any other direct relations to, to goalkeepers and the job they have to do because... Like I said, it's thankless. No one no one cares if they make two saves per game, if they then have one kind of faltering performance that cost their team three points. It's 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 almost ironic that they only get the press when they make a mistake, um, uh, because obviously everyone will say that was a great save or that was a phenomenal save, but Make two hours in the Champions League final, and that's what your career is going to be defined by. And that's a real shame, because if, if Mohamed Salah stayed on the pitch, missed two sitters in the Champions League final, Liverpool lose that game 1-0, of course people are going to remember it, but he will have adequate time for redemption. He will be able to come back out and say, um, I can, I can be better, I should do better, give me another chance, and everyone will give him another chance. But I think what Hams' article kind of encapsulates perfectly, is that goalkeepers rarely get another chance, despite the fact that they kind of ought to. Um, whatever Carries did in the final may well be unforgivable from a performance point of view. But if you're looking at a human being and what a position is in football and, and the role of a goalkeeper, then... All kind of logic dictates he should be given another chance to kind of prove that it was that wasn't him, that that was the outlier. Um, So it, you've got to feel for him sympathetic-wise, but I think what Hamza said was really important. Empathising is the most important thing that any human being can do um, in any situation because making a judgment call without putting yourself in someone else's perspective is dangerous and reckless if more people could put themselves in Carriers' perspective, it, it'd be really important, I think.
1: Yeah, and, and Hamza, back to you. How important is it, you know, in terms of the mental side of Karius' game in, in light of the news of the concussion? Because you've got a great stat in the article that the 32 minutes of play where he made the errors against Madrid leading to goals was, was more than in his last 32 games, which is which is huge. and. The news of the concussion maybe mitigates that slightly. It, it takes a lot of stick um, away from him in terms of people may no longer say that it was actually him just having a, a nightmare on the big stage. It was actually caused by by this head injury. So, you know, of course, you're going to have people saying it's a PR stunt or, or tiro Courtois complaining that Karius is now blaming the performance on that injury, which is nonsensical in my point of view. But Kiev... It was a game that could have destroyed his confidence, and many people were saying, "Is there a way back for this player now?" Because of the the sheer damage it would do to his his mental state. But but maybe do, does this give him some form of respite? Does this allow him to, as you say, Im- improve his mental robustness if he can continue as Liverpool's number one?
3: I would think so. Um, after the match, after he made those two errors, and I was and we were all unaware of the concussion. I just thought, as a player, there's the this is probably the biggest challenge any player could face coming back. I mean, players have had injuries before. People have had their, their knees reconstructed, their ankles reconstructed and so on. But to, to have made two key errors to have cost a team, uh, there's, there's literally nothing that's, that I can think of right now, at least that would be more challenging on a football field to, to, to come back from. And I think, yeah, I, I think having this concussion, uh, as, it, it it almost certainly affected him. I I can't say I'm not a, I'm not a doctor, um, but the the way that the the second goal in particular was scored, um, makes me think that it, it very much did affect him. And I think that 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 could offer him a route back to playing to play football at the highest level uh, for Liverpool again, because uh, he he can say well he can say to himself and his and his friends and his family can tell him it's not entirely your fault. Uh, it's not your fault. It's a referee's fault for not pulling the game up. It's Ramos' fault for fouling you. Uh, you did well in the time until you got your head bashed. In fact, he made a fantastic, fantastic save against that, was it Benzema Hedda? uh I mean, that had a, I think the XG of that chance was 0.3, so this is a really big chance, and he's made that big save. He's made big saves uh, throughout his time, well, more so towards the end of this season. I mentioned that in the piece, the, the save against Everton. Uh, he was starting to look a really good player, uh, as his confidence got up, and I think this concussion does give him the ability to to say to himself, you know what, I am I am better than those mistakes. Definitely, that wasn't my fault, and that that's good for a player, right? Uh, sometimes you've got to accept things were your fault, but you don't really want to be accepting two big mistakes in a final. Uh, I think because of this, he he should have the capacity to come back from it and perform to a high level. It will still be a massive, massive, massive task. I mean, this is, this is hard to work on it. He might be trembling in his boots every time he sees someone line up a long shot, uh, or, or, or he'll be holding onto the ball that bit longer, uh, when he's got it in his hands. But he, 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 needs to get to game time first. And with only, with game time, we can begin to see if he, if he will be the player that, uh, he was showing that he could be over the last half of the season and that he wasn't minds. But yes, I think the concussion, uh, offers him a better route back, uh, to being a goalkeeper at the top level.
2: My, my concern is that the psychological damage might already have been done. That's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about even, even knowing that it wasn't necessarily his fault, although I, I certainly don't think it's guaranteed that he will feel that way. Obviously, but none of us can really know how he's feeling. I'm certainly worried that from, from, for many, it's just, it's just not necessarily that easy to write it off. Cause for, for, for us, I think it's easy for us to write off a game, but I, I, don't know whether the sort of a long-term effect of that, whether or not they can be written off. It's going to be very, very interesting to see how Carius lines up. And I think moving away from the psychological aspect for a minute with, with, um, with Carius, don't necessarily think it massively matters because I, I think it's one of those where can you put the genie back in the bottle? Can you stop the conversation? Because the conversation is happening now. The fact, the fact is, regardless of how we ended up in this situation, the conversation is happening across, across the, you know, across the social media, across Twitter, across Facebook, across everywhere. And it, the journalists are saying it as well. Liverpool are interested in a keeper now. So even if, even if Karius can see a way back, and even if there is a way back for Karius, the simple truth is that the conversation might be too late. For me, anyway, I think it, the, what it looks like to me is that it may me ready to get hit because it looks as if everyone's kind of moved on from it. Everyone's kind of moved on from Carriers, and whether or not he deserves to be, whether or not he deserves to have the questions being asked is a different question to whether or not they are being asked. Because for me, for me, it, the inciting incident doesn't always have to be an, in, you know, what's an inciting incident has happened. The effects of the chain reaction that have sprung up from that happen anyway. It's not necessarily the case that people still think he should be sold or people still think we should bring in a goalkeeper because of what happened in the Champions League final, but the Champions League final has raised that point. And now people are saying, yeah, all right, fair enough. We do need a new goalkeeper. So even if, even if objectively and even if rationally, we can say, well, yeah, the Champions League final wasn't his fault. And I think that's probably a fair, fair thing to say. It doesn't
3: mean that Liverpool aren't going to sign a new keeper, and it doesn't mean that people don't think we should sign a new keeper. Oh yeah, I'm I'm very much in that boat. Um, I I'm with you there. Like, um, I believe he, he's a good goalkeeper, but the experience that I had, remember I mean, last year, Mignolet played absolutely out of his skin, uh, for the second half of the season, and I I genuinely believe that he deserved to stay on as number, Liverpool's number one because of how well he played. He played fantastic and I thought it'd be unfair to him to say after he's played that well okay you're no longer you're no longer Liverpool's number 1 because if you keep that perform that level of performance up uh, you deserve to stay as a goalkeeper and then the experience that we've had with him in particular but also since we brought in van Dijk uh, uh, has proved to me at least that um these aren't the sort of positions and Liverpool are no longer the sort of club that can can do this sort of thing. Liverpool want to be winning titles. Uh, Liverpool are in, in a position to win titles and all that is stopping them at the moment is getting those key players uh, in, in those right positions and if we can improve upon uh, carriers, I think we should. Uh, I'm not saying we should throw him out at all. Uh, I, I think he, he still has a future at the club uh, but it's probably best for him if he plays as a number two. If he has a cup run and then can try and rebuild his confidence from there. If he plays in the, the pre-season, has a few games because, uh, it's going to be tough for him. E- even though fans are aware of the concussion, I think he'll, he'll have a nice reception at Anfield, but, at away games, uh, you'll probably feel the tension with fans really, opposition fans really get on his back. Um, but I- I'm with you there, Tom. I, I think, uh, a new goalkeeper, if someone offered me, or Black or Alice, and there's no way I'm saying no to that. Uh, uh if someone's offering me Pickford though, um, or, or, uh, Butland, a player of that sort of quality, probably not. I want to know that if we are going to buy a goalkeeper, it's going to be of a considerably higher quality than Carriers. Um, if not though, what we've seen in the past half the season is that he's good enough to a point. Uh, the only thing that I would say uh, gives him gives him my confidence to to stay on a bit longer. Is that we only saw him for half a season, right? Uh, Properly. And in in those games, he was pretty good, apart from the Champions League final, which of course we've discussed. So and with a goalkeeper, you do need to see a lot more of them than, than say a centre back or a left back or a uh, centre mid and so on. Uh, so I think that probably gives him a bit more slack in my book, at least. Uh, but but yeah, if we if we can get a new goalkeeper that's of a much higher quality, of course go for that.
1: I think it's I think it's an interesting one because uh, you know, I I'm very much in your boat hands that I, I would take Alisson and all black, obviously, but but if someone's offering me Jack Butland who's been linked with Liverpool a lot this summer, um I would be sticking with Karis, especially in the light of, of this news because a lot of people after the Champions League final will have forgotten the form he was in, okay, he you know, he made a couple of mistakes prior to the final, but he was progressing well. Um and that seemed to just go out the window, but now there's a sense of you know a bit of reprieve for the goal goalkeeper. Um and I'm just I'm just wondering in terms of his long term future, it is very much dependent on if Liverpool go out and sign a goalkeeper, but actually as well I think it it proves to carriers that he, he has something to to pinpoint it in his own head. Because he's not thinking, you know, he's not going home thinking what the hell happened here. I have been doing well and I've just let it completely go. There there was a reason, there was something he can blame, he can use in order to recover mentally from this. And even if Liverpool do go out and sign a, a number one, okay, it's it's slightly different if it's a if it's a world class goalkeeper. But if they do go out and sign a goalkeeper, I think it will help him mentally, um, in order to. To try and battle for for his place in starting eleven. Uh, but Alex, I'll I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on this. You know, mentally, what's Paris's reaction to this going to be?
0: Well, we don't know, put quite bluntly, what what he he will do if he stays number two. He could either retreat into his shell and kind of stop being the ambitious character-filled kind of keeper that we saw this season. And yes, he did give the ball away a couple of times cheaply. Sometimes he tried to do too much with his footwork. Uh, but people just... There's revisionist memory over over why Carrius was good. There's videos going around, compilations whatever, over whether Carrius deserves to start again because of the incredible saves he's made this season. And yeah, there were a few really good saves. But when Carrius played with Van Dyke, we looked really assured at the back. And also, the way we distributed the ball from back to front was lightning. And it was it was confident as well. Whenever we have Mignolet in goal, it's almost hindering us. Like, it, it shouldn't be as big a thing as it is, but Mignolet's distribution is that poor that it almost does hinder us. So to have Carrius, whose distribution has been excellent, uh, and like, there can't be any denying that he's improved us in possession. Um, obviously, keeper's first remit is to save shots, and that's, that's fair enough. If his shot stopping is affected to the point where he's, he's kind of decreased from the level he was at, then you have to look at replacing him. That being said, if you replace him with someone who doesn't possess his ability on the ball, his ability to play high, and his shot stopping remit, then there's no point because we don't know what Karius' reaction is going to be. Klopp in the past has stuck with players through thick and thin, so I can't see Carrius leaving the club, barring maybe a, like a 20 million, 25 million pound bid from someone who, who a, a deal which represents genuinely financial kind of attractiveness. Um, and if Carrius stays at number two, there's no reason why he shouldn't kind of work his way back into favour. Uh, the only two keepers out there who are absolutely worth going for are Allison and Oblak, and that's fair enough. Oblak's release clause means that it's probably not as viable as someone like Allison, who we can barter down to maybe 60 million pounds. Uh, there's also talk in Spain that Oblak's release clause isn't as um, kind of stark. As a lot of people are trying to believe, there's kind of rumors from Atletico fans that the 89 million is an upfront sum. That if anyone wants O Black, you have to pay 89 million within two years. You can't amortize that figure to kind of pay it over four. Um, and if you do want to pay over four years or whatever, then you're going to have to pay something close to 100 million pounds. It's, uh, it's a slippery slope with O Black too because of the way that his defense is set up. Would he be able to transition easily? To, to the way Liverpool want to play, and does he possess the same on-ball proficiency that Carrius does? Those are all really valid questions. I don't think he does possess the same on on-ball efficiency, but his shot stop is out of this world. Allison is probably the one that fits us best. Sam McGuire did a piece on this back in uh, March, I think, maybe maybe earlier, maybe February. Um, he's got distribution at his feet. He's got distribution with his hands in terms of his long throws. We saw Carrius. His intelligence as well, the, the goal, is, or my goal of the season, was Emery turning against Hoffenheim, and Carrier starts that with just a, a nice little pass, but also he points to Moreno and says, look, 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 have a look. There's, Look at all the space up there. He's very switched on as a keeper. He's very clever. Okay, he makes mistakes. That's fine. But we need keepers to, to kind of make those sorts of mistakes because it means they're confident, and they're not Simon Mignolet who makes different kinds of mistakes because of a lack of talent, concentration, And genuine ability as a goalkeeper. But that's okay, that's okay. Because Mignolet is probably gonna go. Carrius should stay as number two because if we sell him and keep Mignolet, all of a sudden we're in, we're we're in strife again. Anytime Allison gets injured, say we get Allison. We keep Carrius and we get Butland, we've regressed. We sell Carrius and get someone like, I don't know, Rui Patricio, who's good at sporting, but he's kind of on a level with Carriers. then I still think we've regressed because we've proved that the moment can overtake a Liverpool player and that players do really walk. I don't think Klopp is going to end end up selling Carriers. If you look at the way he's treated Lovren uh, and Moreno, there is always a way back, even if that is not the clearest, most kind of redemption-filled path. There is always a way back. And the thing with Lovren as well is that if Klopp doesn't get who he wants, he will stick with what he's got. Uh, he didn't get Van Dijk for a good 12, 6 to 12 months, so he stuck with Lovren. And on the whole, it worked out in the end. If he can't get Allison, I still have a feeling he'll stick with Carrius, Uh, and that's okay because I don't think Butland improves us. I'm, I'm kind of not as harsh on Butland as a lot of people are because I think the injuries curtailed him. He played in a terrible Stoke team. And people seem to forget that he was the best keeper outside of the top six for a good three seasons straight. Uh, but he's still not up, an upgrade. A lot of keepers out there are on an upgrade. I'm thinking of maybe Anthony Lopez from Leon might be an upgrade. Um, Geronimo Rulli maybe an upgrade. Matia Perrin certainly wouldn't be. There's a real like dearth of keepers. Um, the Tom's just put. Bert Leno with a chat. I can't think of anything worse. If we, if Carius is overconfidence <laughs> breeds mistakes. That Jesus Christ, uh, Leno is. He's one of those prodigious German talents that was never quite as prodigious as people made him out to be. He's also one of those talents that believed in his own hype very very quickly. He made so many calamitous errors. People will say he's been picked for Germany. Yogi Low has a right or wrong. Has a propensity to favor those that he knows. He knows Leno well. He's brought him up through the kind of the youth system, so he's now tied to, to, to Leno. His distribution is not as good as Carriers. His shot stopping is questionable when it comes to some absolutely appalling mistakes. If we get Leno, it is basically an intent to sign someone at the level of Jack Butland. I genuinely do not think that Leno is anywhere near as good as what Carrier could become. Uh, and it would just. Ew, that would really, really worry me because he's basically we signing because he's German. You could just go get Kevin Trapp, who's probably better at this stage.
1: Hamza, I'll give you give you the last word on this then. So, um, just to round off your article nicely, what what do you think the future holds for Caris? And in terms of you know the the recent news and really honing in back to your article about the mindset of the goalkeeper, how you know how does he mentally go through the next couple of weeks and months?
3: I think for him, the key is going to be game time uh, to get on the pitch as much as possible and to be able to push that experience behind him. Uh, this is something though that only he will be able to find the answer to. And I think we'll be able to see uh, in in terms of how he acts on the pitch, how he acts with um with reporters in press conferences, um, how he acts on social media as well. Uh, will be a reflection of how he really feels. If you see him posting a lot, uh, the odds are he's probably going to get a lot of flack as well. You'll probably see comments like, get back to, to the training pitch, stuff like that. But that's probably what you want to see. You want to see him being proactive and trying to put his experiences behind him. Uh, th- if he comes back from this and he starts playing well, uh, fair play to him. I mean, this, like I said, this is going to be the biggest challenge of, of, of his career. Um, and if he does do that, he he will have the the makings of the very top goalkeepers. In because, like I said, psychology is probably the most important aspect of being a goalkeeper. And if he can push all of this behind him, then he definitely will be a top top goalkeeper. I actually, I genuinely believe, if if he has the ability to put this behind him, he'll be a fantastic goalkeeper. Uh, we'll see though in terms of how proactive he is. Uh, with uh, on social media, uh, how he, how camera shy he is, um, how he acts on the pitch as well. If the ball comes to him and he's looking to be as proactive as, as he usually is, I, I would like to see him doing exactly what he did when Benzema intercepted it. He was doing the right thing. He was looking to play the ball out quickly. If if he keeps, if we see him do that on preseason, we should know that he. He's alright. He, he will be performing to a good level. Uh, he, his mind is in the right place. If we see him dilly-dally on the ball, uh, I'd be a bit worried for him. And, that, and that's a real shame. But I think we, we can't, uh, make this judgment yet. We can only see. Uh, and that, so, so we're just going to have to wait with Karius to see, uh, how he performs, uh, how he acts. Uh, but I, I think he has it in him. I think he, he he does have a good technical base as a goalkeeper and you can always fall back on that. So he just has to work with the manager, his teammates, his family, his friends to make sure that he's in the right place mentally. And from there, I think if he can do that, he'll be fine. Uh, if not, that'll be a shame. But that is football. It's an unforgiving game.
1: OK, Um so we'll round up there. Um, Alex, I'll go to you first. Have you got anything you'd like to plug?
0: Um, I've got an article out now. It's uh, a nice tactical look at the 4-2-2-2. Uh, and with the seemingly impending arrival of Nabil Fakir, it looks to be quite a tasty setup if we do end up going with the 4-2-2-2 that Klopp used against, uh, West Ham last season. He used it a lot in his, in his Dortmund years. Um, it's just a really exciting time to be a Liverpool fan. It's brilliant that we were able to not just confirm the signing of Fabinho, um, Straight out of the Champions League final, but that we still haven't confirmed Cater because there is still that kind of sense of that there is stuff happening behind the scenes at Liverpool. Obviously, the transfers are aside, World Cups can drain you in terms of your club because all of a sudden you've got all this amazing football uh, maybe not amazing—you've got all this football on TV uh, and your club's not doing anything. So it could—it could have been a dreary month as a Liverpool fan having to recover from the Champions League final. But no, Liverpool are coming out and they're being—they're being brilliant. Uh, in the transfer market, Michael Edwards is doing the business. Um, lots of stuff's happening. Pet Linders is back. Uh, it's just a really exciting time to be a Liverpool fan. And I'm, I'm genuinely, uh, optimistic that the Champions League final was not the peak and it's certainly not as good as it's going to get in the next 12 to 24 months. So, uh, it's going to be a joy writing more. And yeah, just keep, keep a look out at my Twitter and I'll probably have some more articles up this week.
1: And Hamza, anything from you?
3: Um, yeah, I'll, I'll have a piece on, um, Fabinho soon, just a, a tactical look at him. Uh, I'll try and do some, I'll get in that, that tactical review of the season because I think we've changed in terms of our system and also in the way that we might play next season because of the signings that we've brought in. Uh, beyond that, I'm not too sure yet, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm on Twitter too. Uh, so, uh, you can find my articles there. And Tom, last minute,
1: anything from you? um yeah i've got a
2: pod out uh i'm doing a pod tomorrow night on carrier which should be really interesting other than that i've got an article out at the moment about versatility and how uh fabino and fakir assuming he gets in that's the next 24 hours will fit us side. and that's pretty much it for me okay um from my point of view
1: okay, i've out. got an article uh from my point of view at the moment i've got an article out at the moment touching on uh fabino and mascherano just at sort of a a good end for Liverpool to finally, finally fill the void left by that defensive midfield beauty. Um, other than that, just keep listening to the podcast and um, thank you to our guests as, as ever and thank you to all of you for listening and we'll see you next week.
2: Podcast Network.